special edition of Unfilter this week, episode 141 of the Unfilter Show. It's one part supporters, one part regular show. Chase is out this week. He had a kind of a last-minute snafu, and we are getting ready for Linux Fest Northwest, which means we're a little resource-constrained. Next week will be uh, no unfiltered show, but the week after that, we have something special planned. But this week, it's just you and I. We're going to do an update, and then I'll get out of here. It's going to be a little bit shorter edition. And uh, special thoughts out to Chase, uh, and uh, hopefully he'll be all right and be joining us back here next time. And of course, we're going to be at Linux Fest Northwest. He'll be there for that. There's a lot of ground to cover, but I want to keep us super-focused... Some things went on this week that we don't really need to talk about. But there's a couple things I thought we could start with. We have been talking about Yemen, but let's not start with Yemen. That's that's a little heavy. Let's not go there. Let's not start there real quick. This is a fun one. This one, uh, I you know, I don't know. It seems like if you're going to start somewhere, maybe you start with... Uh, Boy, I'm gonna just I'm gonna people that are, are big Obama lovers. I'm gonna piss them off uh, right from the beginning because I figured let's start with uh, picking pick a little fun at Obama. Uh, you know, I, I, hey, no, look, 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 Mr. Obama, look, look, guys. Uh, no, this is just actually uh, Russia Today all week has been going crazy because uh, the situation in Yemen is deteriorating quickly, and U.S. Um, citizens have been advised to evacuate. Yet the U.S. government is not actually providing a means of evacuation. Well, of course, Russia, never missing an opportunity to make the U.S. look bad, jumps in and provides the rescue. That was part one of the story that developed late last week, over the weekend. Part two now is because the U.S. neglected to do anything, the U.S. is getting sued for it. Uh, This all is just a horrible situation in Yemen, so let's talk about this really quick. I know it's kind of heavy, but we could start with the Yemen situation, and then I want to talk about arms sales. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Heavy stuff, but it's all right. It's all right. It's it's all gonna be worth it. It's just gonna be a, like a like a vitamin packed edition of unfiltered. So let's start with the Yemen situation. I'll play a little bit of this for you, and then we'll get into the arms scene. Stuck in Yemen. That's the case for hundreds of U.S. citizens who are still in the country despite the turmoil. No U.S. evacuation has taken place yet. However, the government did warn its citizens to leave the country immediately. Despite the warning, many have stayed and their lives are now in danger. As a result, dozens have filed a lawsuit in federal court seeking to compel an American rescue mission. To discuss the very latest, earlier I spoke to Jennifer Wicks. She's the litigation director of the Civil Rights Department of Care, and she is one of the attorneys working on this particular case. I first asked her to talk about her clients and what they've been experiencing in Yemen. Certainly. Um, and we continue to get update uh, each day by many of the people that have registered with our site. We have over 600 people that have now registered. Um, but they're U.S. citizens ranging in age from a few weeks old uh, to elderly, um, entire families that have gone um, for family reasons, uh, for business reasons, um, and because the United States has has abandoned um, the, the embassy there, um, and, and while they've given travel warnings, there's, there's never been um, any efforts to evacuate these people from Yemen. And uh, the lawsuit, uh, we'll follow it. I don't know if much is going to come of it. It might be a publicity stunt. But there was the, that was the, uh, the quick, like I said, we're moving quick. That was the Yemen update. I want to now, while we're on the RT's clips, uh, RT loves to uh, give Barry a hard time. This time, it's about an interesting stat. Uh, Obama got something to be proud of for his legacy. 
He has sold more arms and made more money from arms sale than any other president since World War II. Good job, Mr. Obama. has shattered existing records when it comes to international weapon sales. The report outlines how in President Obama's first five years in office, new agreements under the Pentagon's foreign military sales program, the largest channel for U.S. arms exported, totaled over $169 billion. So even after adjusting that for inflation, that number pales in comparison to the only $30 billion in deals cut by the Bush administration in its entire two terms in office, meaning that the Obama administration officially bears the honor of having approved more weapon sales than any other since World War II. Yeah. Now, where are all of these arms going, you may ask? Well, 60% of the sales have gone to countries in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. For example, before the rise of ISIS, back in 2011, oh. the Obama administration approved an $11 billion arms and training package for oh. Iraqi security forces. The same security forces that ended up fleeing ISIS and leaving those weapons behind. Oh. Or there's Saudi Arabia, which accounts for the largest percentage of deals cut by the administration. Hmm. A whopping $46 billion worth. Though which they are now dropping on Yemen. Oh, that number is hard to keep track of, considering the U.S. just announced it would expedite weapons shipments to Saudi uh -huh. in order to assist their bombing campaign against Houthi oh. rebels in Yemen. Oh. And then there's Yemen, a country where the Pentagon recently admitted to losing track of $500 million worth of weapons and equipment, which prompted the report's author, William Hartung, to make the point that considering some claim those weapons have ended up in the hands of Houthis, who are being bombed by Saudi Arabia, while others claim that they're in the hands of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, it's likely that all sides in the conflict in Yemen are fighting with American weaponry. Huh, it's almost like selling weapons to all of these different regimes has made things more unstable. I don't, that doesn't make sense though, because if, if that was the case, why would we keep doing it? Hmm. Jarum says, just give him some guns. I agree, Jarum. Just give him some guns. Just give him some guns. All right, are we uh, are we ready to get into election stuff already? Are we okay with that? I'm trying to ease you guys into it, because I know some of you don't want to even, even hear it, and I totally understand. It's way too soon. This is the way it works now. Uh, these people have been in the race already, right? It's just now getting official. All right, okay. All right, I'm a con. You know what? He's got my back. He says, let's do it. So uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Rubio, really quickly, because I think we'll spend the least amount of time on him. Because I have a theory about Rubio, and I'm totally willing to be wrong about my theory, uh, but I suspect that. Uh, well, you know what I should do before I tell you my theory, my Rubio theory. Uh, hmm. All right. I'll, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna play two things. I'm gonna play just really quickly his announcement, and then I'm gonna play a look at his relationship with Jeb Bush, because I think that's gonna be key to my theory. So uh, before we do that, here's uh, Rubio's announcement, uh, really quick. Rubio announcing for the United States presidency. Now, why are we covering this? I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow these races uh, to the letter. But as these guys enter the race, because they'll probably be coming up in the show in some context down the road, 
It's like characters entering our story. I really kind of see it that way. Uh, these are we are now inter- we are now adding a- another layer to these characters. Rubio has been on the show before, so Rubio's character has a new arc on the Unfiltered show. So here is his announcement. That is why tonight, grounded by the lessons of our history, grounded. but inspired by the promise of our future, I announce my candidacy for president of the United <laughs> States. I chose to make this announcement at the Freedom Tower because it is truly a symbol of our nation's identity as the land of opportunity. And I am more confident than ever that despite our troubles, we have it within our power to make our time another American century. It's because while our people and our economy are pushing the boundaries of the 21st century, too many of our leaders and their ideas are stuck in the 20th century. And they have forgotten. They have forgotten that when America fails to lead, global chaos inevitably follows. All right, here's my Rubio theory. I'm going to admit, I'm going to call it, I'm going to dub this the Frank Underwood theory. Or maybe the Jackie theory. Should I call it the Jackie theory? You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to spoil anything. But if you've seen House of Cards, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I know it's weak, right? To use a House of Cards reference to try to model something that's happening in real life. But think about it. The writers of House of Cards, that's exactly what they did. So uh, in politics, sometimes you have somebody who is sort of like a distraction, who can deflect from you. Especially if you're somebody who's not, who has a little bit of um, a hump to get over, as a Bush does, that name. So Rubio goes out there, he's the attack dog, he's the young one. They play from the same base. Let me play another clip for you. So that's my theory, that Rubio is actually in this to maybe become a running mate. Here's a closer look at Rubio and Jeb Bush's friendship. It's an iconic moment, capturing the bond between Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush. It was 2005, Bush, then Florida's outgoing governor, passing the baton of sorts to Rubio, bestowing the incoming statehouse speaker with a sword he had specially made for him called the Sword of Chad. And look at that hug. Look at that hug. These two are man-hugging right here. Senator Rubio and Jeb Bush are man-hugging as they exchange gifts. Chang, whom Bush called a mystical warrior. Chang is someone who believes in conservative principles. This is Jeb Bush. Believes in entrepreneurial capitalism. Ever since Bush donated $50 to 26-year-old Rubio's first run for city commissioner, the two have been close. Bush, a conservative idea man and policy wonk. Look at that, side by side. Look at that. Doesn't that just look like a president and his VP? Rubio's private political guide. And when they appeared together in public, it was a love fest. You look up the words leadership and there's a picture of him in the dictionary. Bushes get emotional, so I'm going to try my hardest. My wife has told me, don't, don't cry. Don't. Why is he going to cry? Why would he cry? Because he loves Rubio so much. Cry. But Marco Rubio makes me cry for joy. Al Cardenas is close to yeah. both men. He gave Rubio his first job as a law clerk. There's been talk about... Jeb Bush being Marco Rubio's mentor. You've had an up-close-and-personal view of the relationship. Is that accurate? Very accurate. Cardenas says he would be thrilled for a bright Cuban-American like Rubio to be president, but not now. He supports Bush. Uh, With Governor Bush running, I don't think it makes as much sense. Are you surprised that Marco Rubio is running, given their relationship? It's not just their relationship. Yes. Surprised and, like many mutual friends backing Bush, torn and frustrated. See, they're torn because they actually pull from almost the same exact base. 
Uh, and they both play very, very well with Spanish-speaking p- uh, voters. They both p- poll from the same funders. They both poll from Florida interests. But sources close to 43-year-old Rubio tell CNN he has been preparing to run for some time and didn't think 62-year-old Bush would actually get in. Rubio has made a political career out of seizing a moment. See, and they're expecting us to believe that they don't communicate, that these two have been, who have been strategizing together for uh, forever now, that they don't, they don't communicate beforehand, that they don't work these things out. Not waiting for what others call his turn. So Rubio is going to be proved as candidate worthy. He's going to be strong enough to be a candidate, but yet he'll step in under Jeb. Becoming Speaker of the Florida State House at age 34. Everything that has gone wrong in her life will go right for that child. And bucking party leaders to mount a Tea Party challenge for the Senate, which succeeded. Thank you. Now Rubio and Bush will be going after many similar GOP voters, especially Hispanics. Both speak fluent Spanish. And both understand the Latino culture. Even against Democrats, they both fared well among Hispanic voters. Bush won 60 percent of Florida's Latino vote when he ran for governor in 1998. In 2010, Rubio won 55 percent of Latinos. In a- so why does that matter? How do you get a Bush reelected? Hmm. Maybe get a whole new voting populace to vote for him. Maybe that's how you get a Bush reelected. And how do you get a Bush reelected? The two strongest candidates to play to that base? Makes sense to me. Seems like a pretty damn good strategy. Maybe the best strategy to beat Hillary, right? Because that's the real fight. So Hill Dog is in the race, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Let's go there now. So uh, I got a couple of things to play for you, but this clip summarizes what happened without having to go too far into it. Now to the race for president tonight. Hillary Clinton kicking off her campaign this weekend with a road trip to Iowa tonight. Late this afternoon, spotted in Ohio at this Chipotle. This is interesting. So this is uh, a very concerted effort now on Hillary's part to uh, take away some of her celebrity because she's built up such celebrity status, so much hype towards her presidency that now her campaign has to do a concerted effort to make her look like the people. So throughout the weekend, she was tweeting pictures on her trip to Iowa. She stopped at Chipotle. She's doing this. Uh, It is no accident that security footage of Hillary Clinton is being played on the night me- on the ABC Nightly News. Okay, that doesn't accidentally happen. If he did- if she didn't want that footage out, it wouldn't be out. This isn't the first time Hillary's ever gone out in public, and we've just now obviously this is being orchestrated to make Hillary more approachable, to make her look less of the well celebrity that she really is. Restaurant revealing this surveillance shot late today. Meanwhile, as she was ordering a new face in the race for president, Senator Marco Rubio announcing he's running. Our exclusive with him just moments away, but first, Cecilia Vega in Iowa tonight. Cecilia? David, good evening to you. Hillary Clinton is officially on the campaign trail tonight, but exactly where that trail is, no one seems to know. The day's only Hillary Clinton sighting came here at this Chipotle in Maumee, Ohio. Grainy security camera images capturing the presidential candidate. She was wearing sunglasses. Remember Bill eating at McDonald's? That was the same thing. Only it backfired on him and then they never let the McDonald's thing go. But it's the same approach. Now, Chipotle is a little hipper, isn't it? See, she's Hillary's smarter about this kind of stuff. Also releasing her campaign video on YouTube. Uh, see, that one of the things that people don't, and this is going to sound funny for me because I'm actually not a huge Hillary fan, but she revolutionized the State Department in terms of their approach to how they handle social media. And, and they're, 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 the way they were able to leverage the, the uh, Arab Spring 
over social media was the, was truly the State Department's height under her. And so I think she's going to run the best online campaign. That's my bet right now. I'm making a lot of red book predictions, and I'm not writing them down. I hope you guys are. My red book prediction is that Hillary runs the best online campaign. And no one recognized her. Clinton is on a two-day stealth road trip traveling in this black van. Stealth in the, in the sense that she's stopping literally at every restaurant and everywhere and, and getting pictures at gas stations. Super stealth. It's just Clinton, her team, and a Secret Service detail driving along an undisclosed route through the Midwest to get here, to Iowa. Along the way, she's meeting what she calls everyday Americans. Woo! First stop, a Pennsylvania gas station. <laughs> Look at Clinton that. tweeting, met a great family when we stopped this afternoon. Uh, met a great family, huh? Yeah, what a coincidence. Let me just tweet this. And, uh, oh, here, uh, I just brought my photographer. She says her campaign is about people like them and the diverse faces in her kickoff video from a gay couple. I'm getting married this summer to someone I really care about. I got to respect. I actually thought that was uh, pretty impressive. And um, I think that that is going to be one of the things. So eventually, as the campaign goes on, Hillary, the person that we kind of talk about her, is going to fade away. And Hillary, the thing, the, the symbol, the symbol for gay rights, Hillary, the symbol for women's rights, that's what's going to emerge in this election. And so she's she doesn't have to go out of her way to be a symbol for women's rights. She's got a decent record on that. Um, and she's a woman. So that gives her a pretty good heads up. So the fact that she instead led with gay uh, with a gay couple here, right prominent in her announcement video before Hillary Clinton is even seen in this video, this this loving male couple is seen. And I, I think that's pretty brave uh, for a, a political uh, presidential announcement. If you think about the context of that happening. And I think that's going to win her so many points with that demo uh, that I think this is going to sort when, when when we start talking, when we start talking about her no longer as the person, but we start talking about her, about that person that represents ideas. This is going to this is going to be one of those pieces that her campaign put in place early on that really locked in that. And uh, it's just it's you're what you're beginning to see here is an early stroke of a really long term message. Spanish speakers to Judy Stouch of Iowa tending her tomatoes. And my tomatoes are legendary here in my own neighborhood. Clinton herself doesn't appear until halfway in. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Oh, man. So uh, we didn't talk a lot, but she, since she's been out of the State Department, she's been flying around doing huge talks at, uh, and getting paid literally millions of dollars by the big banks to give these talks. But she's a champion for the little people. So you can she says she will earn their votes, you trying to fight ahead. the impression and this campaign ahead. is all about because her. Saturday Night Live already having a field day. <clears throat> Hillary's a granny with a twinkle in her eye. <laughs> Hillary's a granny and she makes an apple pie. First female president, first female president, me, 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 me. And with one failed bid for the White House in the rearview mirror. I have that full bid in the supporter sink if you'd like it. Now the long journey to Election Day begins. What we do know is that tomorrow Hillary Clinton will be here in Iowa for her first official campaign stop. She will be meeting with small groups of voters, business owners and educators. David, those everyday Americans she keeps talking about. All right, Cecilia Vega, part of our powerhouse political team. Powerhouse political team. Yeah. So what is going on with Hillary? Hillary Clinton, were you surprised that she took the ordinary people route? I think it takes some serious nuts. I'm pretty impressed. Um, I didn't expect it. Because who would buy it? She's literally one of the most elite in the nation. The Clintons and the Bushes. Like, the Clintons and the Bushes have, have been in power almost my entire life. She is so far removed 
from everyday ordinary citizen that the fact that she went that route, man, that is that is bold. That's bold. And so I'm trying to put, I'm just like, what's going on? And thinking, you know, you know who you know where I need to go to try to try to get figure this out is what are her supporters thinking? What are her supporters saying? I mean, and what I mean supporters, I don't mean the the uh, the feminists, and I don't mean uh, the people who are you know liberal and they love Hillary and they're all in on Hill Dog. People have been ready for Hillary. No, I mean I mean the banks, right? The people that actually write Hillary's checks. W- w- what are they saying? How do they feel? Because they've been the ones that have been stuffing her pockets so far. So how are they dealing with Hillary doing this messaging? And so I went to a business report. I went over to Fox Business, and uh, I got I got a great quote that sort of explains it all. Essentially. Hillary is going Elizabeth Warren on us for a little bit just to warm us up. But don't worry, it's all just an act. Check this out. The name of the school. I'll tell you what her Wall Street supporters are telling are telling me. Okay. I'll tell you I'll tell you what her Wall Street supporters are telling me. This is on Fox Business. I'll I'll tell you what her Wall Street supporters are telling me. They're saying it's simply this. We expect to get the crap kicked out of us for a while. Uh, she's going to go all Elizabeth Warren on us. And then at some point, at but it's that's, not real. It's, it's, she's going to go back to her, quote unquote, as one guy put it, normal self, which is much more like her husband. Ow. What do you think of that? So this Wall Street support, let's play it again. I want to play it one more time for you because it goes by so quick, and I think it's aces. I think it's totally aces. I won't interrupt. The name of the school. I'll tell you what her Wall Street supporters are telling are telling me. They're, okay. saying, they're saying simply this. We expect to get the crap kicked out of us for a while. Uh, she's going to go all Elizabeth Warren on us. And then at some point, but it's that's, not real. It's, it's, she's going to go back to her, quote, unquote, as one guy put it, normal self, which is much more like her husband. Ow. Now, listen, I agree. Uh, obviously, it's totally on Fox's agenda to downplay anything Hillary's doing. But that sounds kind of legit to me. Because she's kind of the most elite person. She's she's literally more elite than Obama. Like, once Obama's out of office, Hillary's going to, like, like, don't you think, like, in terms of, like, like, maybe not Obama. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe, especially if she gets elected. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. It's just, it is interesting. It is interesting to see her take that turn. All right, let's let's uh, let's move off of this. Enough of that crap. Uh, let's talk just quickly about the Iran deal, because now it's taken an interesting turn. It seems like most parties are agreed upon the framework. And remember, 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 remember. It's not just the United States that's doing this. It's a bunch of nations. But all right, all right, okay, 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 okay. Before I get too far. So now it's at the point where Congress is getting involved. Congress wants to get themselves in there. <laughs> and I love CNN's take on this. So we'll play this clip. We'll do one more. Then there's one last angle that involves Russia. And then I won't uh, dwell on it much more than that. After months of the White House fighting to keep lawmakers out of the Iran nuclear negotiations, today Congress forcing its way in. More fully than ever, I believe Congress should play a role and. uh and ensuring that all the details uh, that need to be in place are there. Republicans and Democrats united behind a compromise bill giving lawmakers oversight of any final agreement. Now think about that. That means that, you know, they, the negotiators sit down at the table, they come to all, this, all these agreements, and then the lawmakers can change it out from underneath them? That's not going to work, especially with a bunch of other nations at play. It's congressional prerogative, and we are the ones who impose the sanctions. We're the ones who are going to have to take it up for permanent changes. Under a compromise struck between Republican Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker and ranking Democrat Ben Cardin, the original 60-day review period cut to 30 days. 
and a provision requiring the president to certify every 90 days that Iran is no longer backing terrorism against Americans, watered down to periodic reports on Iran's terror and missile-related activities. Faced with what looks increasingly like a veto-proof majority in the Senate, today the White House said the changes appear to be enough to merit the president's signature. The Republican chairman, working closely with the Democratic ranking member, uh, Ben Cardin, uh, have agreed to address a large number of the concerns that we've raised and provide the kind of clarity we need to give our negotiators the time and space to try to reach an agreement. For Iran, however, congressional action injects new doubts into already difficult nuclear talks and highlights a key sticking point, sanctions. As long as this instrument of coercion and pressure is kept there, I think people will never have uh, the peace of mind that is needed in order to implement a good agreement. The Iran deal is already an issue in the 2016 presidential race. Today, Republican candidate Marco Rubio agreed to remove his amendment that would have required Iran to recognize the state of Israel. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? So what do you think, Jarum? What are they up to? Because this could get real dangerous, right? You mess with this, you could really, you could really send things down the wrong path. And uh, already, with things uh, just uh, sort of still up in the air, Putin's jumping in. He's going to be selling some missiles. Woo! Now, Russia is set to resume deliveries of its state-of-the-art air defense system to Iran. Vladimir Putin has signed a decree that ends a five-year-old embargo. Now, let's uh, get more details from RT's Medina Kochnova. So Russia's not waiting around. Uh, You know what? Okay, framework's in place. Good to go. Let's take that embargo off here and sell some missiles. We got a ruble that is crushing. So, Medina, what uh, has prompted this move? Uh, Tell us more. Well, the necessity for the embargo on S-300 air defense systems has fallen away as a result of uh, relations with... Now, this is where RT's uh, propaganda gets. And it's done well, but essentially, that question, her answer, that's the, that's the Moscow line. Well, look, um, it's legal now because the uh, framework stuff, so uh, why not? And all the other nations are like, because this is still up in the air and that's extremely irresponsible and we don't want to give them more weapons right now. That's why. And so this is Russia's official line. But you know, it's, it's legal. Comrade. The Iran improving and of a recent breakthrough that was reached in Switzerland over Tehran's nuclear program. Now that's according to Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. Now the contract for supplying the S-300 was uh, first signed back, uh, was signed eight years ago. But then in uh, 2010, uh, the embargo was introduced in a bid to uh, stimulate the talks between the six world powers and Iran over its nuclear program. And Currently, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has given a go-ahead for delivery as the sides are getting closer to <laughs> reaching a final right. agreement right. and lifting sanctions. Yeah. Now, the Russian uh, foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, uh, said that Iran needs the S-300 needs due them. to quite a tense situation in the region. And uh, he also stressed that the equipment in question is purely defensive, defensive. and it represents no threat to nearby countries, including Israel. Now, and at the moment, mm-hmm. all eyes are on Israel and its reaction on the news, considering the fact that uh, the country always saw Iran as its main enemy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to go well. That's that's I'm just on an instinct level. I don't think that's going to go well. I think there's going to be a response to that. 
Uh, and I have uh, one more clip to play, and then we're going to get out of here. Are you up for it? There's actually more than this, uh, but I just really wanted to focus in on a couple of things. There is a story about who smoked pot in the White House. That's in the supporter sink. Got me to buy a book, though. I'm going to end on this clip because it's it's not really too newsy, but I know you guys are going to love it. It's so laden with tech jargon that's just a little painful. This is sort of like watching a train wreck. A little enjoyable. And uh, we'll wrap it up on that. Thank you uh, uh, for tuning in. So here's the kind of the uh, schedule. It's going to be a little hectic. There will not be a, one, a 142 next week because I have people landing on Wednesday. The week after that will probably just be a supporters-only show. So if you want to get an update and you're not a supporter, you can still go to patreon.com slash unfilter. You have a little bit of time to support this show. And then it's just for $2 or more, you're going to get access to that. For you $5 members this week, lots of clips that didn't play in the show. We had a high note that I didn't, I'm not going with this week. and Because some of it's actually a little more visual anyways. And some great clips in the overtime folder. NBC did an interesting, like candidate stats rundown of Hillary and Rubio about like their records and whatnot. It's again very visual. It's in the overtime folder. If you're an unfiltered patron of $5 or more, you get access to that. So I'm going to end us on this juicy clip here, just full of great cyber jargon and about that Russia attack and what we got to do to respond. And it, it, I believe, if I recall uh, when I clipped this, I grabbed it because it has KT Farland. KT. KT uh, sees the world. In KT's world, uh, it is still the Cold War. Russia is uh, has its finger over the nuke button, and uh, we gotta we gotta bomb them and bomb them quickly. So I love whenever time anytime KT is gonna weigh in on something, because she's got such a great perspective. News that Russian government hackers were behind an attack on White House computer systems isn't that surprising. What's shocking is that they were successful, as they were against similar unclassified systems at the Department of State. The attacks raise questions with seriously dangerous answers about how safe we are from cyber attacks that have major national security implications. After all, if they could infiltrate the White House, shutting down power grids doesn't seem that hard after all. Fox News national security analyst KT McFarland. Let's stop right there. Okay, let's just stop right there. Um, so we don't really know how they got in, but supposedly they act, they compromised something in the State Department and then from that leaped into the White House. Either In either case, they did not access classified systems. My bet is they compromised a CMS, maybe like a WordPress, a Drupal, something like that, right? They got in there, and it's probably administered by the same contractor that does both sites because it's probably not a super high-priority site. Like, it's just got some calendar stuff. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, so that's what they got access to. That's the scope of the hack that we're talking about. They probably got access either by using bad passwords, a phishing attempt, and that's probably the worst case, or more likely, probably just don't patch vulnerability in a CMS because all of the popular CMSs constantly have to be patched, and it's probably being managed by a contractor vendor. So that's that's really what we're talking about here. Joins us now, KT. Appreciated. Has this gone on for decades in terms of Cold War esque spying between the United States and Russia, and simply hacking is the latest version of it, or is this new? Well, it, it's new, and it's, in fact, much more serious. Why? Oh, yeah. Because oh, we're yeah. the most vulnerable country Woo! 
to any kind of cyber attack, cyber hacking. Why? Everything we do is on the Internet. I love it when people uh, ask a question and then answer the question. I wasn't going to ask that question. You just put that out there to make yourself sound more intelligent. I didn't ask why. Cyber attack, cyber hacking. Why? Everything we do is on the Internet. Everything we do is on computers. So we're the most vulnerable. But, Leland, there's a new thing um, in the cyber war, cyber age, and that's, you know, in, in the good old days when you had large militaries, you needed a navy, you needed an air force, you needed an army. Now, this is always my favorite line. This is the big boogeyman. Uh, this is on uh, KT. Uh, KT, and it's in the supporter sync. I have no idea from what week, but if you have a good uh, file system search, you just search for, like, KT McFarland, uh, KT McFarland, and uh, she in there, I, she gives a talk. Uh, and boy, is cyber the big boogeyman. Cyber is the bo- big boogeyman. Why is cyber so bad? Because you geeks out there are dangerous. You geeks, any of you could be co-opted. Any of you are dumb and vulnerable. And any of you could just do it from your basement. It's the geeks we have to worry about. To wage war against another country. Now all you need is some guy with a computer. Uh, so, so the barrier of entry is very low. And then finally, the problem with it is, is you don't see this coming. It's almost impossible to detect where a cyber attack is coming from. And I like that KT admits this. It is almost impossible to detect where a cyber attack is coming from. So I assume, of course, she will not attribute uh, any cyber attacks to any uh, origination sources because, as she just says right here, it's nearly impossible to attribute the source. You can't even see it coming. It's so impossible. You can't even see it coming. That's what makes it so bad. It is, is you don't see this coming. It's almost impossible to detect where a cyber attack is coming from. Almost impossible, guys. You don't see it coming. There's no return address. On it. No return address. There's no way to trace it back. On it. And so it becomes very difficult for us to get out ahead of it. And so far, all we're doing is playing catch up. You know, somebody hacks into the White House. What do we do? Well, we defend ourselves against that. hack. But too bad we have no way of knowing who did it. Right, KT? Attack. The it, problem is the hackers have moved on to the next level. It, does the United States have hackers that can then go after these hackers in terms of retaliatory responses? We saw what happened with North Korea, where North Korea's Internet was suddenly shut down coincidentally after the attack. Right. on. Now, we happen to know, because we've covered on this show, that the United States uh, has massive divisions. In fact, the Pentagon has opened up new divisions every year for like the last many years. And I, th- I wanted to say the last five years, but I actually don't know if that number is accurate. It might have been more than that. Uh, this has been an area of massive expansion. I think I, think I recall, didn't we talk about the budget? Uh, they were adding uh, 1,200, quote-unquote, soldiers to their cyber offensive division. Uh, this has been an area of great expansion. Uh, one of the, it's the area that's growing the largest in the Army when other areas are being cut. Sony Pictures, does the United States have a, a, an offensive cyber warfare capability? If so, are we using it? Well, it's, that's a really good question. Um, a lot of that is classified. I'm assuming, and in fact, most reports are that we do have a limited cyber limited. offensive capability. Oh, limited. But what we don't have is, if you look at, the, say, for example, the Chinese. The Chinese have a cyber unit in the Chinese military whose job it is is to look at American defense industries, steal blueprints. <laughs> I love this one because, you know, uh, we have literally infiltrated the Chinese networks all up in their business. We've flashed their firmwares. We've completely compromised their cellular networks. And then use them for the Chinese. Now, if we wanted a cyber, um, an offensive capability in response, what are we going to steal from the Chinese? What do they got? They're not making stuff we want to steal. No. So we don't have that ability to sort of go tit for tat. I think what we ought to do is take it to the next level, though, and the offensive capability that we need is to tear down their cyber walls. I mean, Leland, who's hacking into the American grid? 
We, we could know, KT. How could we answer that? There's no way to track it. It's nearly impossible. There's no way to see it coming. You can't. There's no return address. KT, I can't tell you who's hacking it. You're the one that told me just uh, 35 seconds ago that it's literally impossible. Who's attack- hacking into the American government? I, I can't tell it's you. It's China. What? It's Russia. What? It's, what? 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 It's Iran. What? How? I thought, no, 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 KT, there's no way to know. It's. Uh, uh, you should talk to my friend KT McFarland. She says it's impossible to know who's hacking us. It's North Korea. Wait, what? What do those countries all have in common? They don't let their people see what the World Wide Web is doing. They all censor their their population's access to the Internet. So I think we go back to the Chinese and say, you're hacking into our computer systems. You want to come into the White House? We're going to take down your cyber wall. What? We're going to take down your firewall. What? And then you can deal with a population what? that isn't terribly happy about what you're doing. What are you talking and about? And the reciprocity multiplier begins. National security expert KT McFarlane, appreciate you as always. Thank you, ma'am. What is she talking about? Thanks, Leland. Uh, all the best. Yeah, all the best, KT. You're doing great. And all the best to you. Thank you very much for tuning in this week's episode of Unfilter. We'll be back soon. I've, if you uh, want to catch our Linux Fest Northwest shenanigans, join us, jblive.tv. Uh, We'll be live Saturday the 25th and 26th, I think. Is that it? Something like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sorry we won't be here next week. If you're a patron, though, look forward to something towards the end of the month. And thank you guys very much. Send our best thoughts out to Chase. Hope things are all good for him. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. See you next time.